Lord, you are God and there is none like you. You know the end from the beginning. You are the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three distinct persons. And it is you we lift up in this place right now, Lord. I pray that each of these declarations of our worship would be pleasing to your ears. Let it be a sweet, sweet song in your ears. And Lord, in light of that truth that we just sung, that from the dawn of time you reign over all things and nothing can thwart you, nothing can stop you. In faith right now, we just take a moment and just cast our anxiety on you, knowing that you care for us. So just right now, we just cast that. Lord, I'm anxious about what? And we just cast it on you. Oh Lord, as James 1 says, God, I pray that we would repent of our wickedness and our filth and our sin and receive with meekness right now, with humility, the imperishable word which can save our souls. And so Lord, find a church right now that is not proud, but humbles themselves under your authority to say, your word is the greatest truth I need in my life. It is the major thing I need right now. The one that puts all others in perspective, the one that is living and active and gives hope and life and peace and joy to those who come under it and say, yes, Lord. So would you speak so personally, Holy Spirit? Fill my mouth, say what you want to say, guard it from error and speak so precise tonight. Speak so personally, that person who's hurting, that person who's proud right now, not even thinking they need your word. Speak so personally and bring salvation, sanctification and unification of the bride of Jesus Christ. Prepare us one more step, one step closer to meet you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, praise the Lord. Hope Ottawa. What a joy it is to be worshiping here together again. Praise the Lord. Let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and we're looking at verses 25 to 33 today. And if you do not have a copy of God's Word, make sure you put your hand up because our ushers are coming forward right now, and we would love to put a Bible in your lap. And if you do not have a Bible at home, then please, please, please take that as a free gift from us to continue to encourage you to study God's Word and abide in him at home. Matthew chapter 6 verses 25 to 33. Here we are in the second message of our three-part mini-series entitled Seek First the Kingdom, Gospel Foundations for Financial Freedom. Hey, question, as we dive into this text this morning, this question sets the direction for how we respond to God's word tonight. It is this, do you truly want to live in true financial freedom? You truly want to do it. A lot of people will say, oh yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. But they don't actually want to when the rubber meets the road. See, because here's what, here's what true financial freedom means. 
You'll see it on the screen. You can write it down. Financial freedom, as we see biblically, is stewarding God's wealth in God's way. Stewarding God's wealth in God's way. And that means it is not based on how the world intends for us or this world's ideas of freedom 55. And financial freedom means have all that you want to live how you want and the desires you have and the plans you want for yourself. Ultimately, financial freedom in the world's eyes is build your own kingdom. And last message, the message that kicked off this series from Matthew 6, 19 to 24, we saw where true financial freedom ultimately starts, and that is you and I must choose our master. We must choose our master. Are we going to serve wealth? Are we going to serve God? Because right from the words of our king, right there in verse 24, the last sentence, you cannot Jesus says, serve both God and money. And we saw that to live in true financial freedom as God intends, Jesus Christ must be your only master. And today, message two here is the overflow of that. As we choose to follow Jesus, surrender to him as our Lord, as our master, here's what this means for us. If we are going to submit to Christ in stewarding what he's entrusted to us, here's what it means. We must trust in God's provision for us. We must trust in God's provision. Now, let's make something very clear here. The Bible never talks about, and we are not talking about, some prosperity gospel that says where if you just have enough faith, the Lord will bless you with a bank account that is loaded and cars in your driveway and the house that you want, and you'll even have health and never get sick. This is not Biblical. Everyone say, not biblical. The Bible never talks about that. That's a false doctrine. But here's what we see right from today. If we're going to trust in God's provisions, Jesus tells us so clearly, it means to trust him to meet your basic necessities. Trusting in him to meet your basic necessities. Not everything you think you want, not every desire that you have. Well, that looks really good. I'd like to have that too. But to trust him to meet yours and mine basic necessities. And this is such a key message. I was just telling the worship and production teams and setup teams in there and pre-service prayer. Like when I do the preaching calendar, uh, I do the preaching calendar at the end of every June. And uh, the fact that in God's sovereignty, this message was laid on today as it was planned a year ago. It, you just see the timeliness of this truth that's coming. Because look at this. We've just come through. I was even driving here to church with my family, and you still see uh, uh, remembrance marks of this big storm that passed through here a couple weeks ago. Trees are still down some cars and houses are still destroyed. Lives turned upside down. 
Storms hitting the city, the pandemic. What's going on with the pandemic these days? What's happening these last two years? That's still happening. Wars raging around us, stock markets dropping, and on to top it all off, an increasing cost of living. Have you noticed that? Are you feeling the pinch? I'm feeling a pinch. Increasing cost of gas and food and housing and clothing. And let's just call it what it is. It's one of the greatest times of economic uncertainty that we in our generation have ever lived in. And you felt it and so have I. And that leads to a problem that you and I face every day. You faced it this week. So did I. And you'll be tempted to face it next week. And it is this, um, unbelief. Unbelief. Jesus is going to call it out right here in our text today. Unbelief. See, in our pride, and let's call it what it is, loved ones. In our pride, we don't trust God to provide for all of our needs. Let's say it again. The root of unbelief is pride. As Jesus points out here, and in our pride, we often do not trust God to provide for all our needs. And what is the result? Jesus calls it right here. Anxiety. Anxiety instead of peace in Jesus Christ. Here it is. Fear instead of resting in him. Stinginess instead of generosity through him. And major distractions in seeking to build our own kingdom, clinging to earthly treasure, amassing it of this world, and storing it on up. And ultimately, we see what we, what we spoke of last time, wealth becomes the master we serve. And I just want to encourage you, as we prayed it's time to humble ourselves under the Lord right now in his word. And I pray that this will be an encouraging word, a challenging word, and ultimately a life-changing word. Because I want to encourage you with this, loved ones. This is just this vicious cycle of anxiety that's going on and fear. But it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. If you are saved in Jesus Christ... Hear the word of your king, the word of your Lord right now. If you are saved in Jesus Christ, his word to you today is this. Do not be anxious, but trust in me for my provision. Just everyone take a deep breath, just like, just take a deep breath and rest in that truth. Do not be anxious, loved one. Jesus says, trust in me for my provision. Here's the big idea of the text. Write this down. We're going to unpack it for this message. The big idea of the text is this. To live in true financial freedom, you must trust in God's provision. There it is. 
To live in true financial freedom, you and I must trust in God's provision. And here in our text today, we're going to see three truths that we must increasingly believe by faith and obey daily in the power of Jesus Christ if we are to trust in his provision and live in the financial freedom he intends and that glorifies him no matter what's happening around us. You ready to go, church? All right, let's open up our Bibles. Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 25. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word. Matthew 6, verses 25 to 33. Do not be anxious. Therefore, Jesus goes on to say, let's read this together. I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself." Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Such a timely word. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. All right, first thing we see here out of these first six verses is this. Trust in God's provision. Do not be anxious. Believe in him. Do not be anxious. Jesus commands that three times in these verses. We better tune into that. Do not be anxious. Believe him. See, God will provide for every need of his children. But here's the question you and I are confronted with from these first six verses. Will you trust him to do it? Will you and I trust him to do it. Let's get our context. Context is key. Here we are in a mountain, on a mountain in Galilee. And it's in the middle. No, no, I was thinking about this this morning. Like, uh, no coincidence that this is the very center of the Sermon on the Mount, this text, right? Here he is, Sermon on the Mount, starts at chapter five, goes up to and including the end of chapter seven. Here, show that mountain. There they are. This is where it is, right on the Sea of Galilee. I've stood there. It's so beautiful. And here's what he's saying here. Jesus has just told the crowd that it is impossible to serve both God and money. Now, the term for money there means wealth, possessions, earthly treasure. 
And he's just told the crowd that if they are to honor the Lord and serve him, that is, and also with that live in true financial freedom, then they must store up treasure in heaven and not on earth. Recall what he's talking about with treasure in heaven. This is the eternal treasure of God that can't be destroyed, that can't be taken away. Man, have we ever seen so much earthly treasure get taken away? But he says, your best investment strategy and mine is to invest in the treasure of heaven that can't be taken away, that cannot be destroyed by rust or moth or anything else. And, and, and what does treasure in heaven come from? Seeking our satisfaction in God alone through living a life of obedience to him that overflows from a heart that treasures him above all. Every time we choose to obey the Lord, we choose to invest in the treasure of heaven. He's just finished telling them that. Now, um, everyone is a bit on edge who heard this sitting on that mountain. Can you put that picture of the mountain back up? Everyone's on edge here. Why? This is why context is so key. Jesus now seeks to quell the anxiety that's stirring in the crowd. You know, when you you hear something said and people are whispering, he, he knows that's going on. Why? is that because the crowd, remember loved ones, the crowd he's speaking to is mostly poor. What? You're telling us to not even focus on earthly treasure? Where's my next meal gonna come from? That's easy for you to say. What what clothes am I gonna have? This was was a common struggle for this crowd of having a shortage of food of having a shortage of clothing and provisions, the basic necessities of life. And undoubtedly, the crowd, the thousands of people gathered on that mountain are thinking, listen, if, I, if I'm to store up treasure in heaven and not treasure on earth, how will I be provided for? Have you ever asked that? How will I be provided for? Where's that gonna come from? Will I, will my family have what we need to live? at all times? These are the same questions people are asking today, loved ones. And knowing this, so thankful Jesus knows the heart. Knowing this, Jesus says, look at 25 to 33, go back to the text. Therefore, based on that command, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? See right here, Jesus commands all who would follow him to not be anxious about their life. That's a command. That, think about that. Jesus commands us to not live in fear, worry, 
or anxiety about our life. The word anxious there, circle it in your Bibles. This is so key. This is, Jesus is about to do soul care on 5,000 people. He's going to do it on us here today. Circle an- anxious. The word anxious there in the original language, it means to be pulled apart. Ever feel like you're just getting pulled in so many different directions? Welcome to anxiety. It means you're getting pulled apart and going into pieces distracted with worry and divided. There is no shalom peace that Jesus offers in the anxious heart. It's pulled apart. And I, and I want to I encourage us with this. Think about what this means when he says, do not be anxious about your life. When Jesus commands us to not be anxious, he is simultaneously, see what he's doing there? He's simultaneously commanding our peace. He's commanding our peace. Think about that. The command of our king is to live in peace that he gives us. How's it going? He says, don't be anxious, worried, and stressed out about your life. Amen? And notice, there's no conditions here, at least not in my version, in the ESV. There's no conditions, no little superscript after that command to be anxious. It says, do not be anxious about your life. Unless the pandemic hits, then start freaking out. It's not in there. Everyone say, it's not there. He doesn't say, uh, do not be anxious about your life unless the stock market goes down. Then start worrying. Everyone say, it's not there. Do not be anxious. Here's a big one. If you, unless you lose your job then it's okay to excuse fear and worry and anxiety. I'm going to say it's not there. Do not be anxious about your life unless your gas and grocery bill go way up. I'm going to say it's not there. Do not be anxious about if you will have the basic necessities of food and drink and clothing. You need to live the life I'm calling you to live. Not how you want to live, but how I'm calling you to live and do what I've called you to do in obeying me and following me. Why does he say don't be anxious? Go back to verse 25, the the last half. Why does Jesus command this freeing, call us out of the enslavement of anxiety right here? Because look at 25, the back half. He says, these things aren't the most important things for you to live for. Is not life more than food? Isn't there a greater purpose than just going after the things of this world? These aren't the most important things for you to live for. Life is more than the abundance of possession. He says, do not waste your life, loved ones. Do not waste your life striving after these things, trying to accumulate or amass them or other earthly treasure and success. There is something, there is someone of greatest value far more superior and excellent to live for. And what is that? He tells us in verse 33, commands us, seek first the kingdom of God. 
Don't waste your life pursuing this earthly treasure stuff. He goes on to say in verse 27, did you see it in the text? He says, no, go back to verse 27. We've got to read this again. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? You know what she's saying there? What can anxiety actually do for you that's any good? That's what he's saying. He says, you can't even add a single minute to your life. What can anxiety, being anxious, being fearful, being worried actually do that is good for you? Anything? You don't have any ideas? But let, me ask, let me ask you the same thing today, church. And it's something that as I was prepping this, I was so convicted by this, even in my own life. Let me ask you today. What can anxiety actually do that's good for you in changing your situation? Anyone? What, what can anxiety actually do for you that is any good to make that trial go away? Or that uncomfortableness? Or the suffering? What, what can being anxious actually, or fearful or worrying actually do for you that's good um, to help in any way? Anything? Mm -mm. See what Jesus is saying right here? Don't miss this. Being anxious, eyes up here, being anxious is pointless. Being anxious is pointless. Can't add a single minute, single second to your life. And, and notice this, watch this. Be, but because Jesus commands us to not be anxious, um, do you know what that means, loved ones? I want to say this really gently. My heart needs to hear this today too. But being anxious being worried and being fearful is sinful. You just command it. Don't be anxious. And don't we like to make excuses? Well, I just, we kind of excuse anxiety on the sign, like, it, like it's not a sin. Well, Jesus very clearly points it out, it is. We make excuses for it in our lives for walking in fear and worry. See, then Jesus, the master illustrator, greatest preacher who ever lived, he uses an example to help pull this out. Look at, he uses birds, okay? There's the bird. What a cute looking bird. Of the bird. He's not freaking out. He's not stressed. He's just hanging out. Look at verse 26. He says this. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not, look at the picture, are you not of more value than they? The word sow there, circle it, it means birds don't plant seed in the ground to get a crop. And the word reap there means they don't gather it to get a harvest. They're not doing any of that. Jesus says, look at the Look at the birds. 
God makes sure they're always fed. This guy's looking pretty well fed. He makes sure they're always fed. The word feed there, your heavenly father feeds them. You know what it means? I love this. It means fully developed. One is fully developed because they're adequately nourished. What a beautiful picture. When's the last time you just looked at the birds and said, I don't need to be anxious? Try that when you go home today and tomorrow. They're adequately nourished. But, but notice this. Let's be clear here. You're like, hey, sweet deal. I mean, I never have to like work again. And Jesus is just going to give you all this stuff. That's not what he's saying. You notice the thing about birds is that um, <clears throat> birds still need to go get their food. He's not promoting laziness. In fact, <laughs> birds just don't sit in the nest their whole lives with their mouth open just kind of waiting for food to drop in. I'll just, I'm just trusting God. No, you're being foolish. They don't just sit around waiting for In fact, Colossians 3, 23 and 24 say this way, whatever your hands find to do, work heartily for the Lord. We are called to work heartily. Ecclesiastes says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Why? Colossians 3, because it's the Lord Christ you are serving. But God makes sure they get their food. And now think, think about this. Here's what Jesus is saying. You as God's children who are dearly loved, if God is your father, if you are saved in Jesus Christ, listen, are you not of much more value? The word value there means this, to excel or surpass them. Are you of not much more value? You are made in his image. You are saved through the blood of his son. And as such, how much more will your good, gracious, kind, loving, sovereign, and all-powerful heavenly father ensure that at all times and in all things, you will be adequately nourished for his glory and your good. Look at the birds. Look at the birds. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Did you see it in the text? He doesn't stop there. He gives us another example of flowers. Look at 28 to 30. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. The word lilies there, circle that. It actually means wildflowers. And you're like, wait a second, how can wildflowers? Israel is a desert. I used to live there. You see lots of dust. You see lots of rock. There's lots of sand. However, when you get past Tel Aviv and you get into Galilee, you go in the spring, it's all green. And here's what Israel looks like. These are some pictures. What's that? Wildflowers all over the place. I remember sitting in that field of flowers, those red flowers, and taking pictures, and they're like up to here on you. I'm just sitting in the field. And then that, that second picture there with that mountain, that's actually Mount Tabor. If you read Judges 4 and 5, 
with Deborah and Barak. That's where that battle takes place. It's in the north. That's Mount Tabor. And the ground is just loaded with wildflowers all over the place. Isn't it beautiful? Yet notice what Jesus says here. Look at those beautiful flowers. Yet they don't labor or work until they're stressed and worn out trying to get like this. You notice that? They just pop their heads out of the ground. They're not burning the candle at both ends. The care that is taken to fashion them. Look how beautiful and intricate they look with that care. Look at the detail. Look at the tulip festival that we just had. Look at the design. It's mind-blowing. But he says, look how beautiful they are, yet they don't labor or work for that. Even King Solomon, the wealthiest man who ever lived and was arrayed with splendid apparel known through all out the world, he was not clothed even like one of these flowers. Solomon has nothing on a lily, on a wildflower. Now think, 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 think. Here's what Jesus is saying. Think. If God clothes the grass like that, and you say, why does he call it grass? Because that's what all of those flowers turn into. You know the thing about flowers? They wither. They die. And they become grass in like a month, like a few weeks. Beautiful. Dead. Think about this. If God clothes the grass like that and what they turn into gets used right out of the text for nothing more than fuel to heat up a fire, let's use this grass, it's all dead, chuck it into the oven. How much more will your good, kind, gracious, loving, and all-powerful heavenly Father make sure you're clothed, oh, you of little faith. That word little there means deficient. Deficient faith. Now, notice in verse 30, right there what he does. Jesus hits the root of all the fear, worry, and anxiety in our lives. He hits the root. He's gone right from the fruit, anxiety, down to the root. And what is it? Unbelief. Oh, you of deficient faith. Unbelief in what? In God's character and what he's promised to do. See, here's the thing that anxiety always says. Here's the thing that anxiety or unbelief testifies every single time. You'll see it on the screen. Unbelief always says, I don't trust you, God. Every time. That's the root of fear. I don't trust you, God. That's the root of worry. That's the root of anxiousness. I don't trust you, God. See, God will provide for every need of his children, will you trust him? And right from the text, here's what we have to understand what Jesus is doing here. Here's what anxiety declares. Ready? Get your pens ready. It says this, God, I don't believe, first off, you are who you say you are. Look at verse 26. A loving heavenly father. I don't believe it. I do not believe that. See, this is why worry and fear and anxiety is sinful because it's an assault on the character of God himself. To say, God, I don't believe you are who you say you are. So I need to take matters into my own hands. Anxiety always declares, God, I don't believe you are who you say you are, that you are a loving heavenly father. So me, here's the result. 
the anxious life. So me or someone or something else must take your place. And I'm going to put my hope in this. And then I get all stressed because it doesn't deliver. I don't believe you are who you say you are, but that's not all anxiety is saying. Look at this. Go back to the text. He says, I don't, I don't believe you are who you say you are, but I also don't believe you'll do what you say you'll do. Look at verse 30. Do you see it? You'll do what you say you will do. But if God so clothes the fields, close the grass of the field, will he not much more clothe you? I don't believe that. Anxiety says, I, I don't believe you'll provide for me. So myself or someone or something else need to do this. And what does that result in? Here's the fruit. I got to control the situation. Anyone struggle with wanting control? Yeah. Ouch. I got to control the situation. That's the fruit of anxiety. I don't believe you'll do what you say you'll do. That you will only work out of what is good for me and best and only out of your love and grace towards me. Here's the third thing anxiety declares right from the text. God, I don't believe you are who you say you are or you'll do what you say you'll do. Here it is. Anxiety declares, I don't believe I'm of great value to you as your child. Do you see that in verse text, verse 26? How much are you are of great value to them? I don't believe that I'm of high value to you, God. So I need to pursue and amass. Look what happens. Welcome, welcome to our world. Welcome to our culture. I need to pursue and amass all the treasure of this world. So my value then, if I'm not, don't believe I'm valuable in God's eyes, my value is going to come from what I can try to get in this world. Welcome to amassing earthly treasure, value, status. All of this, all because we are not secure in our identity in Jesus Christ. So I've got to go to the world to try to get it. And, and here's the thing about the world. That's a dead end because you're only as good as your last performance. I don't believe I'm of great value to you. So I've got to stack up earthly treasure to find my identity, my satisfaction, my contentment, my peace, my security, my hope, and acceptance to it. Welcome to storing up earthly treasure. This little, this little deal came to mind. Got to have, got to get. That's what happens when our identity is not in Christ. Got to have, got to get. Welcome to consumer debt. And a little jingle just came as I'm prepping. That's it. Got to have, got to get. Welcome to consumer debt. And so, because I'm basing my identity on these things, and I can never have enough. One of the richest men alive was asked the question, how much money is enough? And he said, a little bit more. Because it's never going to fulfill the eternal longing that's in there. And you can try to pack it with houses and cars and stuff and vacations. You'll still be longing for more. Got to have, got to get. Welcome to consumer debt. And we serve the master of wealth. And so look at this. Here's what we're saying right from the text. When we choose to live in fear, worry, and anxiety, it's saying this. I am of lower value to God than a bird. Do you really believe that? That's what we're saying. I'm of lower value to God as his child than a bird. I'm of lower value to God than a wildflower. 
that lives for like a week. Loved one, this isn't a matter of if, where. Where do you need to repent of your unbelief? Or do I? And you might say, well, this is so hard. It's hard, loved ones. It is. It's hard to live this way by faith and not fear. How do we break the cycle, this destructive cycle of anxiety in our lives? Here it is, the P4 prayer, I call it. P4 prayer, you ready? Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven. I love this. Back end of verse five says, the Lord is at hand. That's the first thing we need to remember. The Lord is at hand. Verse six, do not be anxious about anything. There it is again, nothing. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Verse seven, and here's the promise, and the peace. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. It's like, how can I be peaceful in this situation with everything going on? It's the peace of God. It doesn't make sense on a human level. The peace of God surpasses all Christ Jesus. So here, let's get really practical. There it is. That's the anxiety cycle breaker right there. It's the kill switch, okay? So watch this. What does this practically look like? You'll see it on the screen. I wrote this out. This is something from my own life that um, I pray will bless you. Here it is. Here's what this looks like in action. Lord, I praise you that you are. There we go. Right away, we go to adoration. When you start to feel fear, when you start to feel worry, you start to feel anxious, boom. Lord, get vertical. Lord, I praise you that you are what? You are good. You are sovereign. I'm going to believe you are who you say you are, and I repent of my worry and my anxiety about what? What is that for you right now? That is, you write that down. What is that for you? I repent of my anxiety about Boom, hit the kill switch. You're casting your anxieties on the Lord. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. This is exactly it. And then look at this. You cast your anxiety, you repent of that, and then I thank you. Remember Philippians 4, 6, with thanksgiving? I thank you that you will what? What does he promise to do? You will provide for my need. I thank you that you will give me your peace. I thank you that you will give me your strength that you will give me your protection, that you will guide my steps. Thank him for his promises to you. That is treasure in heaven, those beautiful promises of God. He says, I thank you that you will, what? Do what you say you'll do. In, what is that for you? And then go to supplication, verse six. I ask that you would, what? Meet this need in your time and in your way. Let your kingdom come and your will be done and hallowed be your name. That's the Philippians 4 prayer right there. That is the kill switch of anxiety. Right there. Trust in God's provision. Do not be anxious. Believe in him. And as an overflow of faith, where do you need to repent? Right there. Because as an overflow of faith in him, lastly today is this. Second lastly, we must not be anxious, but seek him. Seek him. 
Hey, be encouraged, church. God knows every need you have. Will you seek him as your first priority? God knows every need you have and will have. Will you seek him as your first priority? Look at 31 to 33. He goes on to say this. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But, so then what are we to seek? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will, look at the promise, will be added unto you. See, Jesus says, in light of the truth of God, always knowing and providing for the needs of his children, here's what he says, be free. Don't focus on or make your life's greatest importance seeking after these things or any other kind of earthly treasure. Work hard. Remember, the bird's got to go get it. Work hard, but don't become anxious. God will provide the need. He says, that's just common in the world. Verse 32, the Gentiles seek after these things. Who's the Gentiles? Unbelievers. Unbelievers. He says, they seek after all these things. They got no other hope. People who aren't God's children, they focus on these things and make their life all about these things. That's why anxiety, worry, and fear are all natural for them. Jesus calls us out of a life of being enslaved to the world and serving a master of wealth. Jesus calls us out right here of living a life of anxiety and fear and worry to do what? Verse 33, seek first. That means of first priority, greatest importance, the treasure of heaven. What's the treasure of heaven? Right here in the text. The kingdom of God and his righteousness, being increasingly holy and set apart and transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, knowing God knows exactly all that you need. So much better than you or I do. Is that encouraging to you today? God knows your needs better than you do. And he's promised to provide for them. And so he says, he says right here, in light of this, seek first. The word seek there means be intentional. Go after it. Aim at it. It's like an archer aiming at a target in the center. He's like, seek it first. What? The kingdom of God. Make it your goal. Be free from all this stuff. All the earthly treasure. Seek first the kingdom. How you use your time and talents and treasures that I've entrusted to you. Use them generously, joyfully, sacrificially, knowing you can't outgive God. He will always meet your needs. He says, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What's that? Doing the will of God. What he says is right in obedience to his word, submission to him and his power. To see him advance his kingdom, not your kingdom. For his glory and not your glory. Let's sum up what Jesus says right here. He says, lay up treasure in heaven. Lay it up. Lay it up. And as you seek first his kingdom, all that you will ever need, not necessarily every want that you have, every desire that you think you have, listen, not all of that, but every need will be added to you. It's a promise. God will not betray his character. See, here's the key. You'll see it on the screen. We need to write down, true financial freedom always has God's kingdom as its focus and not your own. Do you see it? 
True financial freedom always has God's kingdom as its focus and not your own. It's not consumed with the treasure of this world, but consumed with the treasure of heaven, the treasure of Jesus, and he himself is our greatest treasure. Amen? Knowing and becoming like him, all else is rubbish, as Paul says. God knows every need you have and will meet it. Will you seek his kingdom first? Let's ask the question. Whose kingdom are you seeking as first priority right now? Yours or God's? You say, well, how do I know that? There's a few litmus tests. I mean, in Matthew 12, 34, Jesus says, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? The heart is the center of our being. Mouth speaks, mind thinks, hands act. So let's look at that. Number one, your conversations. What are they centered on? Who are they centered on? Are they proclaiming him or yourself? your ways, your wants, your this, your that, or are they proclaiming him and his priorities? How about this? Our actions, not just our words, our actions, are they displaying him increasingly in his power, obeying his word, being transformed from one degree of glory to the next into the image of Christ? How about this? Our resources. How do we know whose kingdom we're seeking for? Look at our resources. Are we prioritizing him with our time, our talents, and our treasures that he has entrusted to us and he owns? Our time, our talents, and treasures, are they going toward what he's passionate about as first priority, his kingdom and his righteousness advancing in this world? Are we doing it joyfully? Not like, well, I guess I better give this for the kingdom. Are we doing it joyfully? God loves a cheerful giver. Cheerfully, sacrificially, meeting practical needs, extending hospitality. I loved hearing about how many people in this church just opening their doors to people coming in when those storms hit. Are we extending hospitality with our resources? Are we giving to his church, giving to other churches and missionaries around the globe that are faithful gospel ministries? Church planting across the world. Like, if you're wondering, what are some of these? Happy to help. Happy to help. I love the fellowship we're a part of, the Great Commission Collective. So good. Or is it clear the priorities become amassing earthly treasure? Where do you need to repent of seeking your kingdom over his and ask for the faith to step out and seek his kingdom first? Let's get real. Trust in God's provision. Don't be anxious. Believe him. Don't be anxious. Seek him. And from this, final point today before communion is this. From this, we can confidently say, trust in God's provision. Do not be anxious, but rest in him. Anyone, anyone feeling like they need a good dose of the rest of God? Rest in him. God will provide, not just for today's needs, but for tomorrow's needs. Will you rest in him today? Look at 34. Jesus closes it out. Therefore, there's that connector word, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus says, therefore, because God has promised to meet all of your needs, don't be worked up. Do not be anxious. Do not be stressed out, worried, or fearful about what may or may not happen tomorrow. Jesus knows the future. He was there at the beginning. He's the Alpha and he's the Omega. Isaiah 49 says he knows the end from the beginning and no purpose of his can be thwarted. A high view of Christ's sovereignty is a torpedo into anxiety. 
Jesus knows. He knows what will and won't happen. He knows the next news report that's coming. He knows the, the report at the next doctor visit. He knows what your health and mine will be in 20 years from now. He knows it. He knows how that need will be met. He knows any future restrictions that will come. He knows that we need this and this and this. See, here's, I love that. Be free, loved ones. Be free in his care. I love how Charles Spurgeon put it this way in relation to this verse. He said this, you'll see it on the screen. Anxiety, remember it's pointless. Anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It only empties today of its strength. You can't add a single hour to your life. What about 20 years? What about today? You know, Jesus is saying here, you want, you want an anxiety-free life, just always, by faith, choose to defer your anxiety to tomorrow, and you'll be good. Loved one, hear the commands of your king today in the midst of all that's happening in this world. Don't be anxious. Rest in him confidently. He's got it all figured out. You see it on the screen. Let's say it together right here. God has it figured out. He's got it figured out. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. He's got it figured out down to the last detail, even every minutia of the detail that you don't even know is there that you will need. Why? Because Jesus is over all, and he, will, and he fulfilled each of these commands to seek, to believe, to rest in God perfectly. There was only one human being who ever lived the anxiety-free life, and his name was Jesus. And he is the founder and perfecter of our faith who has gone before us and now promises all we need for life and godliness, loved ones. There is the beautiful hope of the gospel. And he lived that perfect life and went to the cross and died to pay the penalty for our sin. And he rose to life conquering death, conquering fear, conquering worry, conquering anxiety, to give the forgiveness of sin and eternal life and freedom, not just financial freedom, freedom from the enslavement to sin for all eternity. To all who repent and believe in him, no more set in their hope in amassing earthly treasure. Trust in his provision. Believe him. Don't be anxious. Trust him. And don't be anxious. Rest in him, knowing whatever comes, the need will be met. And the focus stays the same. His kingdom, his righteousness, and his glory. Amen? And it's only fitting. It's only fitting, isn't it?